Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by. And we're coming back with our second all-new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast on this Tuesday here in America. I'm Roan. Noah's still here. Yo! If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. We're going to continue to hit the ground running here. We just wrapped with Tennessee Congressman Andy Ogles. We're going to have former chief of staff to the DOD, great friend of the show, Cash Patel, joining us in just a bit. And we'll round out today's episode with another U.S. representative, Matt Rosendale, who's congressman representing Montana, too. So we already touched on it with Andy Ogles. And we saw over the weekend there was some breaking news regarding this budget deal that Speaker Johnson, Chuck Schumer, and the Biden White House have apparently come close to agreeing on. Originally promoted as $1.5 and change trillion, we've already heard from Congressman Ogles this thing could be as big as $1.7 and change trillion. And essentially what it is is the same thing Kevin McCarthy agreed to last year in regards to our budget for this current year, which we're band-aiding with a CR that ends in a few days for the first step of the ladder and the first week or second week of February for the second step of the ladder as they work through the rest of the appropriations process. I did like the insight that Congressman Ogles gave into this, both in the near term and what the future looks like for the next session of Congress. We'll be retouching on this with Representative Rosendale in just a bit, but as this news broke over the weekend... There was so much other shit going on, everything from North Korea firing off artillery rounds, stuff that had been going on between Israel, Hamas, and Hezbollah. You had things, China doing some major posturing over the weekend. And, of course, all the stuff that was going on with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, this kind of just went underneath the radar, kind of bled into the news cycle yesterday, which was Monday out here on the West Coast. Let's hear a little bit of lead-in and talk about some of the parameters of the apparent budget deal that was struck just a few days ago. Top congressional leaders from both parties announced a framework Sunday night that would set the top line number at $1.59 trillion. But while it has buy-in from leadership, we're already seeing fission start to form among conservative members. The first red say flag. This is simply fission? too much spending. Like nuclear it's fission? even worse than we thought. That was the Fishers? message from the House Freedom Caucus social media account, blasting the deal as a, quote, total failure. Incoming chairman, Representative Bob Good of Virginia, writing on social media, at some point, having the House majority has to matter. House Speaker Mike Johnson now facing a similar problem as past GOP leaders, trying to avoid a shutdown in a split government while appeasing his more conservative members. In a letter to the full House, Johnson conceded that this will, quote, not satisfy everyone, but argued it does get conservative concessions, including a $10 billion dollar cut to the IRS. Overall, the deal sets the top line number at $1.59 trillion, including $886 billion in defense. Democratic leaders Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries put out a joint statement applauding the deal, but warned Speaker Mike Johnson about adding any so-called poison pills that could kill the deal. The proposal does not link this budget fight to any policy changes on the southern border, as some Republicans wanted. But over in the Senate, negotiations are underway for a plan that would link border policy with additional Ukraine funding. Republican Senate Senator James Lankford says that they could release the text of that proposal in the coming days. This agreement has to work. Everyone's counting on this actually working, but it's going to have to be agreement that a White House, uh, that it's a Democrat White House and a Democrat Senate can also line up with a Republican House, and we're working to thread that needle. GOP lawmakers have dug in on getting a win on the border. This can't be mealy mouth. Uh, it has to be 
uh, serious reforms to secure our border. <laughs> New York Republican Michael Lawler Big saying it Mike has Lawler. to be more than just funding. We have to be serious about reforming the asylum process. Remain in Mexico has to be the policy. President Biden also responding to the proposed budget deal, saying on Sunday that it brings us one step closer to avoiding a shutdown. You know, when you have so much of the Democrat leadership applauding this, you could only think, and as, you know, Representative Ogles kind of let our listenership here. People in the Republican House, especially our most conservative ones, are not happy with this. Um, it doesn't take a, us back to pre-COVID spending either. He had mentioned that piece from the White House. This came out from obviously one of Joe Biden's low-level staffers, not from him because he was traveling and, and almost assuredly sleeping throughout the course of the weekend. But let's hear what it said. The bipartisan funding framework congressional leaders have reached moves us one step closer to preventing a needless government shutdown and protecting important national priorities. It reflects the important national priorities. It reflects funding levels that I negotiated with both parties and signed into law last spring. It rejects deep cuts to programs that hardworking families count on and provides a path to passing full-year funding bills that deliver to the American people and are free of any extreme policies. I want to thank leaders Schumer and Jeffries for their leadership on reaching the framework. Now, congressional Republicans must do their job, stop threatening to shut down the government, and fulfill their basic responsibility to fund critical and domestic national security priorities, including my supplemental request. That's the Ukraine funding. It's time for them to act. Mm. How do you feel about that, Noah? I like it. You think Joe Biden wrote that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Sure didn't. You know, when he said, I did this, like, three sentences in a row, I was like... I don't believe you. He might have had some input there, but (laughs) I don't believe him either. I was instructed to do this. So it was pretty cool to get the announcement today when we sat down with Andy Ogles that he's going to be moving to one of the senior chairs in the House Freedom Caucus. One of our also frequent guests on the show, Virginia Congressman Bob Good. I don't know if you heard this, Noah, but over the course of the Christmas break, he was appointed now to the leader of the House Freedom Caucus. Nice. And he'll be joining us again on the last show of January. That'll be on the 30th. I saw him on Grant Stitzfield's show last night on Real America's Voice talking about this. Let's check it out. What do you make of this deal as it's uh, as you know it right now? It is more of the same, sadly, and unfortunately, you laid it out in your opening there. Uh, it is going to increase spending by about $20 billion over last year's omnibus bill that many of us appropriately criticize as a terrible deal for the country. And here we have a House Republican majority, and we're doing essentially what Democrats want to do. And the proof will be in the fact that Democrats will vote for this overwhelmingly. It will essentially keep in place the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer policies that are destroying the country, and it will keep the Biden-Pelosi-Schumer spending levels in place that are bankrupting the country. Mm. So why wouldn't Democrats vote for it? That's why Schumer and Jeffries are crowing about it and saying they support it. It's more of the same. You know, at some point, having the House majority has to count for something. It has to matter for something. We ought to be able to get at least half of what we want. And matter of fact, we ought to be the stronger legislative body because if we can pass anything we want with a simple Republican majority, where the Democrats need 60 votes in the Senate, and last I checked, they only had 51. Yeah. Again, there's so many times where I'm saying Republicans have so much power and we squander it away and make deals with Democrats when they would never do this with us. They claim there's cuts here, but I looked at the cuts. The cuts are actually clawbacks. So the $6.1 billion in unspent COVID aid, that comes back. They, they've got $20 billion in the IRS funding, which never should have been passed in the first place. These aren't savings. These are things that never should have been there in the first place. It's a good point that Grant Stinsfield makes there. 
I don't know, Noah. The way I'm looking at this is this is not a win. This is kind of a failure for Mike Johnson. Um, I, I really thought we were moving towards an imminent government shutdown here. I thought we were going to be able to lay down the law and get some accountability down on the U.S. southern border, and that would be saying that we would not take as much out of the budget and pass it if Joe Biden forces Alejandro Mayorkas to do his job or removes him. It looks now we might not be getting any of that. In addition, Alejandro Mayorkas is going to be up for impeachment. Who knows if we're going to have the votes on that as well? Hmm. You know, and it's just... Wouldn't it be easier if he would just do his job? Wouldn't it be better for the country if he would just do his job? Yeah, we're going we're to get in him. He's been a real butte over the course of the last couple of weeks. He's just posturing now. I hate that guy. I actually got a pretty good receipt from a congresswoman who went on a show and said something that Alejandro Mayorkas told some of our more hardliners, Republicans in the House, what exactly impeaching him looks like on the other side of the coin. You're going to be interested to hear that one, Noah. But, you know, when you talk about this bill here and, and the fact that you're going to need Democrats to pass it and, and they're going taking a victory lap on it, you didn't see Mike Johnson's name mentioned in that statement that Joe Biden put out, but he did praise Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries. So it's it's the way we're looking at it right now, it's not good. And for as much as we don't like him, when he does make a point that's relevant, we're, we're going to play the clip here on the show. Ron DeSantis enthusiast, chinless Chip Soy, Ooh. House Republican from Texas, who only started displaying this behavior after the time to pro- <laughs> file for a primary challenger was filed. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You know, he's been on the ground with Team Meatball out in Iowa for the past couple weeks, and I still haven't got him to block. I really tried hard this weekend to get Chip Roy and Meghan McCain to block me. Meghan McCain called Donald Trump a piece of shit because Donald Trump talked about John McCain thumbs downing, repealing Obamacare. So every single quote she put out, either in the comments or as a quote, I did the shirtless John McCain in hell squeezing his own nipples. (laughs) And I don't know. That didn't get you a block? No, maybe she's got me muted. But uh, oh, you know, you're definitely muted. There's no fucking way. God, she looks like Fiona from Shrek. But Ch- Chip Roy was on there talking about Speaker Johnson, the job he's doing right now, maybe the lack thereof, and what potentially could we have some more waves happen in the House? Let's check it out. Point five nine trillion. Now they're going to blow it by another seventy billion. We shouldn't do it. Speaker Johnson shouldn't do it. I think there's going to be some real conversations this week about what we need to do going forward. Does that include potentially moving to oust him from his job? Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's not the road I prefer. I mean, you know, we've gone down the road. I didn't I didn't prefer to go down that road with Speaker McCarthy. Uh, we need to figure out how to get this all done together. But it isn't good, and there's a lot of my colleagues who are pretty frustrated about it, so we'll see what happens this week. Okay, you said you don't prefer it, but you did not say no to that, I should note. And also... <laughs> I can't stand him. I can't stand Caitlin Collins either. She's a fucking real complete retard. But the thing is... I would so much not rather go down this road of uh, motion vacate again. If Republicans pass a bill that's not perfect, it's actually quite shitty, but what it does is line them up to hit the congressional calendar for the 119th session next year running, and instead of waiting till the last four months of the fiscal year to start working on appropriations, start doing it at first. You would think with the people we have up there now and how much they've been able to bring the light the way the process works – that they essentially would be able to get the appropriations bill done in a timely manner next year. We don't have to worry about a Joe Biden budget. We don't have to worry about a continuing resolution. We can just kind of move forward and and try to get this government funded the way it was intended to be and not with CRs and omnibuses as we've done it since essentially 1994. Yeah, let's not do that anymore. No. 
We'll have to see what happens. This is a kind of a developing situation, and, and we're going to see how it shakes out. You know, as we've already heard Congressman Ogles tell us today, I'm sure Matt Rosendale, who's no fan of bullshit, will be telling us more of the same thing when we sit down with him in just a bit. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're following Steak for Breakfast. Hit the plus button, hit follow. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out big time in so many different ways. And we really appreciate all the new listeners that have come into the show over the course of the last couple months. In addition, we have social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. That's where you can find us. Follow the accounts. Make sure you hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything we're doing on the show. All the big guests we're having and all the great news that we're trying to bring you as we try to change the way you consume it as well. Okay, so Speaker Johnson sat down for... A border exclusive while he was out with his Republican delegation last week, checking out how things were in Texas. And during the course of this interview, they segued on Deface the Nation, CBS, to border security. And, you know, the two big issues here is budget, economy, wasteful spending. That's one big issue. And then what's going on on the southern border? Republicans have to pick a fight and die on a hill here, or, or we're going to lose both battles. But at the same time, you know, What's going to happen with Alejandro Mayorkas is something that we're going to be looking for uh, anything on in the next couple of weeks. We've been told by several House Republicans who have come in here over the course of the last two months that early to mid-January is when they're going to bring the vote to the floor. And hopefully they hashed out whatever problems they had in committee last time and, you know, are able to get this guy out of there. Again, we'll touch on that in our next new segment. But, you know, it goes into these proposals right now that Joe Biden looks like he's not willing to budget all on tying foreign aid to any kind of border security and border security to Joe Biden is hiring new agents to process people and allowing them to be paid to do so. So she asked what his angle is on, on challenging Joe Biden on this. Let's hear the Speaker of the House. Chip Roy, uh, Congressman from Texas, uh, said it's great you came here, but it wasn't worth him coming because he's he thought chinless. this was all just a, a photo op, essentially. And he said he'll refuse to fund the government until Biden signs H.R. 2 or its equivalent. Is, is this like a threat to shut down the government? No. Chip's one of my closest friends and colleagues. I talked to him last night. That's Irrelevant. That's what he intended to say. <laughs> what he meant it was... a two-page was, letter. Well, I, I know. I read the letter, and, yeah. and I understood that very differently. I know what yeah. Chip was saying. He, he is from Texas, South Texas. He's been here a dozen times. Also He's irrelevant. seen all this himself many times and, and attempted to relay He's this in South to Iowa colleagues. Right now. Um, so he didn't want not want to send a message to his constituents that he was going to did come. Did not want? He himself was going to come here for some photo op or some media uh, opportunity. Um, some of these members had not been here before. Some mm -hmm. have been here once or twice, but it's been quite some time. We've never had this many members collected in one place for this purpose. And it was really important, not just for symbolism, but so that they could see the magnitude of the crisis now, because again, it's worse than it's ever been in history. Um, I think you have, we have the resolve of all the House Republicans, I mean, from every district, to understand this is a critical issue. And they, they believe that because they've seen it with their own eyes, mm -hmm. and their constituents are telling them that, that this is important for us to fix. And, and in fact, recent polling affirms you got about eight in 10 Americans who believe yeah. that this is either an emergency or a very serious situation that Congress should address, that the White House first should address, that right. the government collectively has to get on top of this. We are doing our part. We've done our part, and we need the other partners in the federal government to do so. It's a good point. Yeah. It's not the way the world works necessarily. He also failed to mention that more than six, close to seven in 10 Americans are now calling what's going on down on the U.S. southern border an invasion. That's the describing. There's no other way to look at it. Now that they're using as well. 
And, and, and when you're talking about the stuff, the back and forth, the relationship, or maybe shaky ones that are now developing between some of his closest colleagues, how he's going to handle working with Joe Biden, maybe directly, and the White House moving forward on border security. When you see the amount of journalism that goes into the follow-up question to this, Noah, <laughs> and the ride that Mike Johnson wants to take this loser on, you're going to absolutely friggin' love it. While we could play the part where he dunks on Alejandro Mayorkas, I definitely think this follow-up question that she asked, remember, in an interview with the Speaker of the House, third in the line of succession to the most powerful position in the world, <laughs> on what's really important questions to CBS Deface the Nation. You ready for this? I can't wait. Back in... Uh, 2021, you were the lawmaker who circulated the the legal brief known as the Texas Amicus Brief, um, challenging the 2020 election outcome in a number of states, which by CBS editorial standards makes you an election denier. That's nonsense. Well, can I get you on the record on that? I've always been consistent on the record. Did you read the brief? Did you get a chance to read what we filed with the Supreme Court? Well, I I have read extensively some criticisms of that. You read commentary about the brief, but not what we submitted to the court. But you recognize that President Biden won the 2020 election. Can you just put that aside? President Biden was certified as the winner of the election. He took the oath of office. He's been the president for three years. What the argument that we presented to the court, which is our only avenue to do so, was that the Constitution was clearly violated in the 2020 election. It's Article 2, Section 1, and anyone can Google it and read it for themselves. Mm. The the system Mm -hmm. by which you choose electors to elect the president of the United States uh, must be done by the individual states, and the system must be ratified the state legislatures that is language plain language out of the constitution have issues with the validity of the 2020 election the constitution was violated i just fucking explained it up to the 2020 election seriously my favorite thing that's amazing of, of i think 2023 is realizing because he was so animated after donald trump won his you know, Nancy Pelosi led impeachments. We saw where he held up the acquitted newspaper right outside of yeah. Nancy Pelosi's office and gave a big wink. The Speaker of the House of the United States doesn't believe that Joe Biden is the willfully elected president. I think that's fucking phenomenal. It's beautiful. And if you want to try and challenge him on it, this guy's a constitutional attorney who's been just an absolute beast in the courtroom. Um, we might not all have enjoyed the way that his speakership has gone to this point, but... uh you can't take into discredit the fact that he is a big supporter of Donald Trump. Obviously, he endorsed him. And if anybody's going to try and push him on that, he's going to push back in the most monotone way possible. He's like, <laughs> oh, where you, what are you saying this for? That's just nonsense. I'm not an election denier. The Constitution was violated. She's like, so you're not changing your tune. He's like, did you even read it? I've read opinions about it. He's like, so you didn't read it. You fucking retard. oh man we're going to segue here a little bit because we're going to be jumping in with the former chief of staff to the dod cash patel in just a second no i know you saw this story weirdly breaking over the weekend the fact that we didn't have a secretary of defense for anywhere from three to five days due to a major issue that he had with a minor procedure medically that he went in for last week that's not really the there there apparently the there there was that he told no one in the federal government apparently that he was going in for this procedure, and once it went sideways and he was placed into the ICU, we don't even know if he was fully conscious for undetermined amount of times, but nobody knew where he was, and his deputy secretary of defense was on vacation in a place maybe you've heard of it, 
Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. This is kind of a big developing story. Puerto let's check, Rico. Let's check it out. And then there's this mysterious illness to Biden's defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, who's been missing in action all week. Late Friday, the Pentagon said he had been hospitalized Monday following complications from elective surgery, landing him in the ICU for a time. I should the public were left in the dark all week. Many were outraged. Now, just moments ago, just before going on air, uh, the defense secretary issuing a statement that reads in part, I understand the media's concerns about transparency, and I recognize I could have done a better job ensuring the public was appropriately informed i commit to doing better but this is important to say this was my medical procedure and i take full responsibility for my decisions about disclosure now at no time in that statement i said did the president did the defense secretary say what landed him in the hospital the reports that the white house was not informed about what happened to the defense secretary for three days and then there bad dates Okay, it's funny, but seriously, all the shit that's going on right now, the entire world is on fire. Everything from our border, the Persian Gulf, the Red Sea, the Taiwan Strait, the Middle East, you name it, Eastern Europe, there's not a major conflict going on. There are two places on this planet right now where four countries are engaged with both sides are calling war. And some of the proxies in between those four enemies are taking pot shots at our troops all over the world. Yeah, that's wild. And the Secretary of Defense goes off the grid for at least three days of complete silence while his deputy is down playing beach blanket bingo in Puerto Rico? you got to be fucking kidding me. You know, it's going to be really interesting to hear what Cash Patel, as he was the chief of staff to the DOD, he worked directly in any kind and all. I feel like he would know. Situations regarding this. We're also going to be talking about a narrative that I think we need to clarify for our listenership. Because remember... We do things a little bit different. We definitely do things much more funnier than everybody else does when it talks about, uh, you know, bringing you guys the news here on Steak for Breakfast. But I do see a lot of people ramping up the rhetoric about simply abolishing federal agencies when Donald Trump becomes the president of the United States. I've done a little research into this. I asked myself some questions. You guys should have questions, too, in regards to if Donald Trump could just come into the White House after he's taken the eighth of office and on day one just say, the FBI is no more. It'd be nice, but... We're yeah. going to get to the bottom of it with the former chief of staff to the DOD. He was also a federal prosecutor for a very long time and deputy assistant to President Trump. Cash Patel in just a minute. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. This man wore a lot of hats in the amount of time he's done up on Capitol Hill. He's a author, attorney, former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to the 45th president of the United States, one of our great friends, PAPS enthusiast, Mr. Cash Patel. Welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Though I'm not wearing a hat currently, I am wearing pants and clothes, unlike those clowns on CNN. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty wild times. Cash, we got a couple of things we want to talk to you about today. One is a, kind of a big narrative we're looking to get to the bottom of, but, but first one is more of a little bit of breaking news. Obviously, uh, as the former chief of staff to the DOD, I'm pretty sure you saw with 
just absolute weirdness watching the way the whole secretary of defense Lloyd Austin narrative has gone down. Apparently he went in for a minor surgery that went sideways last week. He was in the ICU and and essentially off the grid while his deputy secretary of defense was vacationing in Puerto Rico. And essentially we didn't have one for an undetermined amount of time still. And even more, apparently Joe Biden and the white house didn't actually know what was going on during this. So as you saw this kind of unfold and know with the entire world on fire right now, whether you're talking about Iran and its proxy wars, what's going on in Israel, uh, China and North Korea both posturing hard, and, and of course, Russia and Ukraine, what the hell is going on here? Look, I wrote an op-ed on this in the Gateway Pundit published yesterday. And from a national command perspective, knowing that the most important mission in the United States is the national defense of this country, our founding fathers in Congress codified the fact that there must be at all times, a national command authority. That is a chain of command from the commander-in-chief to the secretary of defense, unbroken at all times. The importance of that cannot be overstressed here. I'm not saying Lloyd Austin or any SecDef doesn't get sick or take a vacation. I wish him well, and I hope he's okay. But we have procedures in place when the secretary of defense goes down. He intentionally decided, decided to violate the law not inform the White House, and not only that, but failed to inform his deputy secretary of defense to perform some of the duties necessary. Why is this important? What if there was a, I don't know, nuclear attack? What if we were in the middle of two world wars? What if there was a hostage situation in Africa? What if terrorists took over a portion of a country that we're friends with in Southeast Asia? And the commander in chief calls the secretary of defense and he doesn't know where he is. The national command authority has been broken. It's been violated. Now they're trying a political cover-up con job operation to say, oh, the chief of staff at DOD didn't inform the White House. Let me tell you something. As a former chief of staff at DOD, you got 55 people there that can inform the White House if you allowed them to be so informed. You made the intentional decision to jeopardize the national security of this country, and you, Lloyd Austin, must resign. And the fact that President Biden is doubling down and saying he won't accept his resignation means he is rubber stamping and condoning the illegal conduct of his secretary of defense. And he has continued to jeopardize the national security of this country. Congress should be livid. And I know the media is probably pretty muted on this, but just look at it this way. What if during Trump's tenure, me and a sec def just said, hey, man, we're going to go on a vacation. We're not going to tell you anything. We'll see you later. We're going to Vegas. (laughs) No, that cannot stand our national. And more importantly, above all, our men and women in uniform operate on the chain of command. When our combatant commanders do not have a secretary of defense that they know is in power, giving them their commands, then our troops on the field cannot undertake those commands lawfully and you jeopardize their safety. That's my gravest concern. This is an abject failure of national security and it's total politicization. Oh, and, and you know, when you talk about all those hypotheticals that were going on, let's just say something that's happening in real time right now, Cash. What if one of these, you know, rogue missiles or kamikaze drones that the Houthis are using against mm-hmm. Americans in the Middle East right now hit one of our boats and, and U.S. servicemen and women die? I mean, that calls for a, a immediate response from the U.S. military. And when there's a black hole there in regards to the chain of commands and nobody knows what's going on, that could have led to something like more than just an international incident. And that's just it. The United States military doesn't stand at the ready 96% of the time and take a 4% holiday just because, oh, the holidays are around. 
The United States military does reps and sets 110% of the time to be ready 100% of the time. And when their chain of command is absent intentionally in violation of the law, then that chain of command needs to be held accountable, not just because of personal politics, but because you jeopardize the safety and welfare of our soldiers overseas, and you jeopardize the safety and welfare of the American citizenry around the world while two world wars are raging, while the terrorists are growing in Afghanistan, while the cartels are growing in Mexico, and while the southern border is seeding terrorists illegally into this country, all on your failed watch. And now you are laying blame to the equivalent of, oh, I forgot my hall pass during study hall. Nothing to see here. No big deal. And what's maybe even worse, we still don't know the Secretary of Defense's condition. Yep. I hope he's okay. But if he's not able to perform these duties, not all duties can be delegated lawfully to the Deputy Secretary of Defense. That's just not how it works. Being the guy who used to be responsible for the nuclear football and the National Command Authority, I kind of know the deal there. You know, when you look at the way this is shaped up, you talked about the media blackout cash. The only thing I've seen over the course of the last 48 to 72 hours is commentators talking about Republican rage and how, you know, people in the House of Representatives, the Armed Services Committee is obviously on the appropriation chairs and stuff like that weren't informed of this as well. Mm -hmm. and, and that Republicans are making a big deal out of something that's now been brought back under control. But that's not the there there. It just seems like this is the way accountability is dealt with within the Biden regime. And when you talk about some of the other people who have made similar mistakes or, or have committed the same acts as well, people like Alejandro Mayorkas, obviously Merrick Garland, etc. It just looks like there's going to be no accountability from the most historic and transparent regime in the history of the world. <laughs> but as as the media would have you believe, and they're a key culprit in this, Joe Biden's going around taking a victory lap on how great of a job Lloyd Austin and his national um, security mission has done. What great job? Two world wars, 13 dead American soldiers in Afghanistan, a disastrous withdrawal, 10 million illegal immigrants, Chinese fentanyl killing 100,000 of our youth per year. Um, never-ending terrorism rise in Syria, Iraq, Iran. And by the way, there's Russia and China looking to kick our butt. What national command position have these people taken that is better now than during the Trump administration? But of course, the media will print it and say, what a great job they've done, re-elect Joe Biden. And that, to me, is equally as detrimental as the grotesquely unconstitutional maneuver that Secretary Austin just took and jeopardized the safety of our nation. And the media should be held to account for their part in it, for failing to report the truth and demanding the accountability they would have demanded if this happened under President Trump. Just like there shouldn't be a two-tier system of justice, this media allows a two-tier system of national security defense when Biden's at the helm. No, it's wild the way it shook down. And, uh, you know, we're obviously going to continue to track this and see what happens. We'll obviously be probably talking about it still when you come on the show. Remember, Lloyd Austin did give himself a better than A grade on the withdrawal from Afghanistan as well, Cash. So we can't take into discredit yeah. the job that he's done or lack thereof since he's been the Secretary of Defense, someone who was a general for over 35 years as well. So he knows how the chain of command works and he knows exactly what he should have done when he went in for that surgery as well. I do want to segue here a little bit. There's something I want to talk to you about. It's been on my mind. We, we've texted back and forth about it over the course of the last couple of weeks as well. You know, and, and it's on the minds of a lot of people in America first. I know you probably saw today, Cash, the harsh sentence that Ray Epps was given in his role of January 6th, one year of probation, a $500 fine. So the only building he'll be entering now moving forward was directing people to go into the probation office. Um, you know, but when you talk about 
dealing with some of these rogue agencies like the FBI has become, you pointed out in, in such great fashion in your government gangsters book, which we'll be live linking in the show description today as well. I want to talk about the presidential reorganization authority and what it does is it permits the president to divide, consolidate, abolish, or create agencies of the U S federal government by presidential directive subject to limited legislative oversight. When people talk about abolishing the FBI, tearing it down, starting from the beginning, or maybe just removing the most senior admin and then kind of weeding out the bad apples within uh, you know, the rank and file. There's a lot of ways that this is going to be looked at in potentially Donald Trump's next term next year. So for all the people who just go onto the news and sometimes recklessly say, oh, we just need to con- completely cancel the FBI and start over from ground zero. I think legally or via presidential authority, it might not be that simple, but I want you to help kind of break it down and explain to our listenership the way you see it. Yeah, look, I've never been one of those people who has advocated for the complete um, demolition of the FBI and other agencies and departments. They need major significant reform. The Ray Epps issue you brought up is just one example. The FBI had so many informants in and around January 6th that they had to take a national poll to determine how many they actually have, and we still don't know. Yet the media printed for years that the FBI had no involvement. Right. Being a guy who used to be in law enforcement and run sources, I know it takes months to verify and validate a source, then deploy them into a criminal operation entity. And to say the FBI was not involved is just a complete fabrication and other disinformation campaign. The problem is this FBI under Chris Ray and Merrick Garland has continued to lie to the American public, not just about that, but about domestic violent terrorism, about targeting people at houses of worship, about targeting abortion clinics and the like, and pro-faith people, and they have weaponized justice. So what needs to happen is a complete and total reorg. And whether it's personnel at the top and a combination of Congress cutting budgets and finally punishing those individuals like Chris Ray and others who have made the FBI a rogue agency, it's going to take a multitude of of orders and judgments and decisions, not just by President Trump, by, but all three branches of government, to bring these people to heal. Because what they have done is allowed our system of justice to be politicized and allowed it to rig elections. And that we must end. Sure, you look at all the election interference that Donald Trump is you know, running into just this cycle, not including 2016 and 2020. I mean, you had Joe Biden out on the campaign trail in Valley Forge and and down in South Carolina, just spewing lies this weekend, doing everything from calling Donald Trump a loser to inaccurately saying that he's lost 60 court cases in regards to election interference and election integrity to demonizing January 6th. Merrick Garland also said the same thing on Saturday. He went out and did a little speaking event in regards to memorializing the Democrats' favorite national holiday, January 6th, by starting off by saying it was an insurrection and an attack in, in his first sentence of describing the day. You know, you have all these people when you're at the highest facets of government and you're not willing to put it out there legally the way it should be presented and just kind of giving your narrative how you want your voter base and, and people who, you know, may not understand how the system works to understand it. It's it's so reckless and, and endangers the whole rest of the country. Obviously, the world, when you talk about the stuff that's gone on with Lloyd Austin, we touched on it a little bit before. But when you look into the Presidential Reorganization Authority, so what you're saying is it, it would probably be easier instead of just going out and spouting we need to abolish the FBI to really restructure the whole thing. And then when you talk about the congressional oversight that might happen, when you start laying out these things like you did, Christopher Ray and all the other rogue agents that have worked with inside the agency, I mean, there was spying, there was entrapment, there was all this stuff that happened with Donald Trump throughout the course of his first term and the events leading up to it, that he would probably have a lot easier path to creating a better agency that best serves the American people if he took that route. Is that what you're trying to say? 
<clears throat> yeah, look, I'm, you know, things like an FBI headquarters behemoth that still occupies downtown D.C., mm-hmm. we don't need that. We don't need 7,500 people in Washington, D.C. trying to get their next paper um, <clears throat> paper payday and promotion. What we need is those agents being cops in the field, chasing down bad guys across the country, taking out bank robbers and terrorists and drug dealers and human traffickers, taking down fraudsters and chasing down criminals and utilizing the system of law for law enforcement. We need to drastically reduce the size and footprint of that headquarters department. And the leadership cadre there needs to be just as equally, if not more significantly reduced. We don't need 10,000 people telling me how to get to know. You need 10,000 people fighting for the American people to reduce the rampant crime in this country. And that is gonna take a massive personnel and building size reorganization. I'm never gonna be one to advocate for the complete abolition of the FBI or these agencies. I know the men and women there like you guys do. We've worked with them. 98% of those folks in those buildings do the job every day only to have it be ruined by their leadership cadre who politicize their efforts and reprioritize political efforts instead of law enforcement. And we can fix those. And here's the thing. America needs those fixed. We cannot be a land without law enforcement. It's going to be a monster lift. And the only person that can lead that effort is President Trump, because not only has he been the target of it, the ultimate target of it, but he's been the ultimate juggernaut who has exposed the two-tier system of justice in federal and state court, in criminal and civil court proceedings. And it is no longer a right-wing neocon conspiracy to say that this justice system has been weaponized. Pick your case, Georgia, D.C., Florida, where have you, New York. It is all going in President Trump's direction because the American people see that this system of justice has been fully weaponized and they want out. Well, and you've seen how much Donald Trump has supported law enforcement through the entirety of his life, not just as president of the United States. He's always done great things for the men and women of law enforcement, first responders in the military, always made sure that they were never forgotten and and always hyped up as well. You would want to see a president that wants to see them get back to doing the things that they were created to do initially and working for the American people. And, and then when you talk about all the all of the great guests who have come our way over the years, both whistleblowers from the FBI, people who headed federal agencies and were department heads, it's been an absolute treat just getting an inside perspective as much as it is like when you come on the show, Cash, you know, you always provide our yeah. listenership with such great information. I think you've clarified a lot of stuff today. Obviously, we're going to be live linking everything in the show description, the Cash Foundation, a link to your book as well. There's only one place you could find you on social media, and where's that? At Cash, at KSH on Truth Social, and of course, commenting on the great show that is Elk for Breakfast. Only when he comes on the show, one of our great friends, former chief of staff to the DOD, this guy's Mr. America First right here. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of the week. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a great uh, day and enjoy your week. Um, It is opportunities like this. Uh, that uh, I will use to communicate the facts to the American people. As we all know all too well, uh, the issue of immigration is an issue that is highly politicized, and it is very important that the American public understand the facts, the extraordinary dedication of the Department of Homeland Security's personnel, all this administration has done and it's very important that they understand that the challenge that we are experiencing is a challenge that is a function of a number of factors number one what we are experiencing at the southern border is not unique to the southern border or to the united states the entire hemisphere is gripped with a level 
of migration that is unprecedented in recent history. In fact, it is something that is gripping the entire world. All right, coming back in with the back end of our second all-new Tuesday edition of the Steak Breakfast Podcast today. Noah, great sitting down with Cash Patel. Definitely clarified a lot of that stuff on abolishing federal agencies for us and moving forward what Mm -hmm. we could potentially see in the second Trump term. Not so much so as Alejandro Mayorkas' trip down to the U.S. southern border yesterday. He ran the news cycle last week, promoting the excellent work that he's done as the DHS secretary, and then parlayed that into a visit. Wait, excellent work? <laughs> visit to the troops yesterday mm. down in the Rio Grande sector. How'd they uh, treat him? Everything was clean, believe it or not. Weird. It's, press, almost, it's almost like they knew he was coming. The press, not so much, though. They, they actually pressed back and gave up a hard time. We'll hear that in just a bit. As you heard in the beginning, he talked about a migrational challenge like the world has never seen. This is the next step into what's gone on with the incorporation of all of these refugees from the Middle East and Africa into Europe, into the Western Hemisphere version of it over here in the United States. I feel like if you point out that it's a migrational challenge that the world has never seen, but it's a direct result of exactly what you've done. That's not really, like, you're tooting your own horn in a bad way. And that's the thing. I, I, what alarms me the most about the recent refacing of Alejandro Mayorkas is the posturing he's taking, not just against House Republicans, but to anyone that pushes back on the Biden regime's objective of letting everyone and everything into this country as fast as they can. We'll actually get to some leaked information that was given to the press yesterday following a meeting between some of the brass and Alejandro Mayorkas after the speaking event. But trust me, Noah, we're um, um, doing everything we can. Uh, they keep leaking my data. And you can call it a lot of things, but don't call it an incentive-based system for non-citizens to come here. Gift cards are not an incentive. Let's check it out. After the ending of Title 42 in May of this year, through the end of the fiscal year, DHS removed or returned more non-citizens without a basis to remain in the United States than in any other five-month period in the last 10 years. In fact, the majority of all migrants encountered at the Southwest border throughout this administration have been removed returned or expelled, a majority of them. We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways, to impose consequences on those who do not, and to reduce irregular migration. We will continue to do everything we can, and we will continue to enforce the law, but we need Congress to make the legislative changes and provide the funding that our frontline officers so desperately need. Every single person. A majority, really? Who's in an administrative position within the Department of Homeland Security have stated that they do not need any more money because all the money does is go to processing aliens and releasing them into the United States. I also want you to put a pin in that majority of people getting returned, removed, or deported, because that's 100% unequivocally false. Uh, There's a a majority of the uh, gotaways that um, got away. And here's the thing. When you talk about the stats, I'm not a math wizard, Noah. I don't claim you to be as well. Oh, I'm definitely not a fucking math wizard. Here's the deal. Let's say 100,000 people came in in one fiscal year during the Trump administration, 
And out of those 100,000, maybe, you know, an overwhelming majority of them were granted the processes allowed to start an asylum claim. But at the end of the day, Donald Trump, let's say he deported 10,000 of them, okay? Okay. The deportations then are at an all-time low. If Alejandro Mayorkas takes over as the DHS secretary under Joe Biden, right, and 12 million people come in and they deport 500,000 people, he can go out and claim that it's the most deportations over the course of a 10-year period leading up to where we are at right now, correct? So it's a false number inside the numbers. Well, I mean, 10 years. So he's saying he deported more people than Obama did? Yeah. I mean, wow. That's 3.4 million people in eight years. Yeah, it's pretty wild, the, the job that this guy has not done and how much he has attributed to destroying our country. And, you know, not only people in the Republican House, Democrats are starting to call for it. You've seen mayors in Chicago and New York obviously crying about it on the news for the last couple of weeks. You've seen people in and around Joe Biden's orbit saying, you know, at some point we are going to have to probably address this is pretty bad. But now the press are even starting to jump at some of the... They're eating him. They're going to eat Joe Biden alive. Dog whistling that Alejandro Mayorkas is proprieting out there, especially when he went down to the southern border yesterday. He did take some questions from the press. I have to believe that these were not pre-prepared. Let's check it out. Uh, most of the migrants that we spoke to, specifically in December, they come with no address to go to, and they're coming because they're being released. What are the consequences that are going to be taken with these migrants that are being released, and especially the ones that are uh. coming because... They see that it's easy to get here. Well, uh, first of all, I would um, uh, I would take issue with your characterization that it is easy mm. to get to the United States. I think we all know very well the perilous journey. Oh, perilous uh, journey! Migrants oh. take in the hands of ruthless smugglers Sounds who don't care about their well-being. They care only about making a profit. That perilous You're journey has them. been uh, uh, reported and has been shared with us and we're as giving Border them Patrol gift cards. agents interview. Uh, migrants. Um, it is very important to understand that when an individual is released, they are released into immigration enforcement proceedings where they can make a claim under the laws that Congress has passed. And if their claim does not succeed, if they show up they in seven years, removed and they are and we, subject to we tell them a five-year ban and they don't. on admission. Mm -hmm. We have returned, removed, or expelled an extraordinary number of individuals, um, and we will continue to do so as we enforce the laws. Is it more children than you've lost? So the there there is he's saying if someone's processed and allowed to go into the proceedings to be formally removed, that's getting a court date in anywhere from 2028 to 2033. That's literally just them handing you a piece of paper. That's the administrative proceedings, right? And he's saying that's essentially being removed from the United States because eventually they will be. So it was leaked to the press yesterday that after this meeting, he sat down for a roundtable with some of the brass from Customs and Border Patrol, ICE, and a few other agencies, at which point he informed them that the official numbers from the Department of Homeland Security are that 80 5% or more of all people encountered since Joe Biden have taken office have been removed, have been caught and released. Oh, that's the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah. It's, it's uh, house Republicans need to do something. They, they really do. And, you know, at some point, if we're going to bend the knee a little bit on the budget and just roll with the punches, with the assumption that we're going to hit the ground running next year and get these appropriation bills done, so be it. 
if they're not going to have any border enforcement, we can't undertake another year of what we saw for the last three. We really can't. You're, you're making the job ahead nearly impossible, and you're going to be contributing to destroying this country. I feel like at the end, that's going to be the goal. They're going to be like, well, we're going to lose anyway. Let's just make it so we can just shit on him constantly about him not doing a good job. Oh, I think that's always been the goal, to be honest with you. When you talk about just the day one stuff, just the day one stuff that was executively ordered, I'll give you like a little microcosm of it. Safe third countries, universal Title 42, mm-hmm. remain in Mexico, which held at its peak 4 million people on the other side of the fence. Prosecutions that happened at the border, the third country transit bans. That means if you are from, let's just say, Peru, and you go up to the next country, you have to claim asylum there before you can continue on your journey, your treacherous path. Yeah, it's called you touched it last. Yep. Tap, tap, no tag backs. And provide evidence of that before you can come and make an asylum claim in the United States. And while making that asylum claim, explain in details with proof why it is not okay for you to claim asylum in the country next to you instead of trekking all the way up to the United States to claim asylum here. The spoiler alert is it's because of free shit. Yeah, they don't have gift cards at the place I was at last. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interior repatriation flights, which means if they caught you and you're not supposed to be here or you're in removal proceedings and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you immediately got that free first-class ticket back to the country you came from. And then the rapid no-doc returns to country of origin. So, you know, day one of the Biden administration was day one of open borders and no U.S. sovereignty, and that's been the there there. House Republicans have a really big job ahead. We're going to get down to the bottom of this a little bit more with Montana Representative Congressman Rosendale in just a bit. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, last call. Make sure you're following the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Apple Spotify is what helps us out in the top 100s. Massages the algorithms, presents us in the suggestions more, just does great things to benefit our podcast. We've seen a huge uptick lately. We'd like to continue that trend heading into the new year. In addition, across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, hit the notification bell as well. Never miss out on anything we're putting out on the show. I also saw a post from Border Patrol, and this this goes to it. Three Border Patrol sources within the highest-ranking sectors of the Department of Homeland Security, who were in the room with Alejandro Mayorkas while privately meeting with him and some field agents in Eagle Pass, Texas, yesterday. Alejandro Mayorkas admitted that the current release rates for migrants caught crossing the U.S. southern border is now above 85% for the totality of the time that Joe Biden has been in office. Release. Release. Like, in the wind. Yeah, he, he it, it also goes on to say that he denied it in his press conference today but said the context that uh, the context of the releases is to help Evan flow the backlog at the U.S. southern border, especially after ending Title 42 in May and through the end of the fiscal year. Well, when you say backlog, you just mean the insurmountable amount of people that will not stop coming. Yep, you can't release everybody. It's it's wild. You know, I saw one of the uh, lowest IQs in the history of Congress sit down for a tard exclusive this weekend. That's New York Congresswoman AOC. Oh! And she was talking about some Democrat plausible solutions to ending the crisis at the U.S. southern border. No, it's something we've been talking about for years. Let's hear it. All parts of the political spectrum. One of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to immigration is the fact that we have an undocumented population. Mm -hmm. Now, you can fix that by trying to build a wall. 
or you can fix that by trying to document people and create a path to citizenship. And um, we'll have folks that might say, look at these systems, you know, that our shelter system has weight and things like that. But one of the reasons that our public systems experience weight is because people don't have a documented and reliable path to work and sustain themselves, just like all of our ancestors did and our and our grandparents and great grandparents. There is a there is a system. It's the asylum process, which in which, of course, 90 percent of the people do not qualify under. The biggest takeaway there, Noah, is that AOC is a vapid idiot. (laughs) Well, that's a gimme. But she said the talking point that you're seeing all of the biggest heavyweights within the Democrat Party have been using for the last three years since Donald Trump left office. There are two ways to fix the immigration system. You can build a wall or you can offer a path to citizenship. That means amnesty, period. There's no two ways to look at it. I'm fine with the path to citizenship if you came in without breaking the law. Mm -hmm. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You break the law coming in, your claim is null and void. That should be how it is. That's actually what the probably the law is, and that's how it should be. No, it's the truth. I saw Congresswoman uh, Kamek on Harris Faulkner yesterday, and she was talking about right before Christmas break and right when this border battle really heated up, some time they had after a committee meeting with Alejandro Mayorkas behind closed doors looked like. You're going to be pretty disturbed by this, Noah. Check this out. Rid of him, and let me remind you, when behind closed doors we told him, you're you're getting ready to be impeached, he said... You're not going to like who comes next. I asked him if that was a threat. He just smiled. This man is dangerous. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he is two-faced. We need to get rid of him now. What did he mean, who comes next? Well, that was the big question. I asked him, I said, is that a threat? And he just smiled. And I thought... This man knows exactly what he's doing. This is 100% by design. They want an open border crisis, whether it is Mm. for a election, whether it's for future votes as they work to get rid of citizenship as a requirement for voting. We're not sure. But he was very, very clear in what he said. And there were other members in the room. So I will never forget that. And as we go to impeach him for his negligence, for him destroying our national security and eroding our national sovereignty, that will be top of mind. Yeah, I, I wish somebody had gotten that on tape so we could play it over and over. Perhaps we will when you guys go into session. Mm. Um, if you think I'm bad, just wait. Think he squeezed his own nipples? <laughs> I had not heard I that can't. before. That's wild. It took me a long time to go search that out yesterday after I saw it live on TV, and I was like, I wasn't paying attention at first, and then Harris Faulkner kind of, stopped her and was like it's like wait he said what what do, what do you mean he said this and she's like yeah he said it right to our faces and then kind of just smiled at us when we reiterated the fact what do you mean who comes next wait like, so basically you're saying that there's somebody waiting in the wings that stands to be even worse than you that's what he said yeah you think i'm bad just wait and, and you know we actually have the hamburglar is going to come in and be in charge Thought they were going to, like, resurrect John McCain or something. <laughs> just going to keep taking pot shots at her. No, but that it, it, that's just wild to me. 
And, and you know, when, when you look at uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, regardless of what happens, whether he eventually gets fired, whether the Republicans impeach him and, and he adheres to it and steps down, or the term runs out in 2024 and the next Trump administration you would think would be coming in in 2025, he's going to be fine regardless. He's never going to be held accountable. It's not like he's ever going to be prosecuted or see any jail time for this. And there's no tar and feathering still. And he's just going to go from speaking event to speaking event talking about how he, um, I took on the broken system and did the best job that I could, Poppy. Buy my book on Amazon. Use the code Poppy for 15% off. <laughs> broken borders. Broken system. Hashtag broke back border. Oh, God. And that's not even the worst of it. Not only is all this stuff going on down the U.S. southern border, but as we reported here on the show, right after the Christmas holiday, Secretary of State Tony Blinken and Alejandro Mayorkas jet set down to Mexico City to meet with the Mexican president and make some demands about ebbing the flow of migrants up to the U.S. southern border. He's had time to stew on it a little bit, and you'll never guess what the president of Mexico had to say about what it's going to take for him to ebb the flow of migrants coming up to the U.S. southern border. I saw Jim Jordan, Obama Fox News yesterday to cover this. a shit ton of money? Check this out. When you think about the role of the cartels in all of this, a huge force of power within Mexico, yep. and now you obviously have the U.S. government, the president, turning to Mexico and saying, okay, we need to talk about this. And, and the word from the administration is, well, we're on the same page about a lot of things. Congress would have to do some of these things, uh, you know, in order to get some of this negotiation through. I want to pull up a quote from Mary Anastasia O'Grady, who covers this issue deeply and has for a long time at the Wall Street Journal. Here's what she says in a piece called Is AMLO, uh, which is, uh, you know, the shortened version of the Mexican president's name, blackmailing Biden. Yes. She says, Mr. Biden yep. needs Mexico's cooperation as he strives to preserve reckless U.S. immigration policy and still get reelected. The world's bullies are on the move in Europe and the Middle East. Mr. Biden is signaling weakness as if it's a secret progressive recipe for world peace. You don't have to travel seven time zones to see how the Biden administration forfeits U.S. leadership. Ground zero is the Mexico-U.S. Yeah border. So, you know, how do you think this plays no. politically, Congressman? Well, I think, the, again, the American people got common sense. They see it. But but the point is exactly right. When you project weakness from the Oval Office, bad things happen. You get the situation on our border. You get the the uh, the exit from Af the debacle that was the exit from Afghanistan. I'll never forget the picture of people trying to jump on the, the wheels of that plane as it's taking off. You get you get Russia coming into Ukraine. You get Hamas doing the terrible things they did to Israel three over three months ago now. And it continues to this. So you get all that when you project weakness from the Oval Office. I will never forget when Russia first went into Ukraine, Mike Pompeo was on your, maybe I think it might have been your show, but he's on Fox and he was asked a question, Mr. Secretary, would this have happened in a Trump administration? Mike gave the best answer. He says, the short answer is I don't know, but I do know this, it didn't happen in a Trump administration. And that says it all. And what we see on the border didn't happen in a Trump administration. And what happened in, in Israel three months ago didn't happen in a Trump administration. And the country, I think, understands that. And that will be a key element over the next 11 months as we go, in through, uh, go through this presidential election. Are you ready for the stipulations? Oh, for the, the request from uh, AMLO? Yeah. What is it? 20 billion in work permits for 10 million Hispanics in exchange for immigration help? Correct. So. Oh, no, that's not it. That's not all? Anyone who's been in the United States illegally from Mexico for more than 10 years 
now needs to be offered a pathway to citizenship to improve the BBB rating for Mexico. The Better Business Bureau? Sure. (laughs) You want to know what else? Sanctions to be removed from Cuba and Venezuela and Mexico's two biggest allies in the region as well. That's not good. That's not a good idea. And And we're we're probably going to do it. Let me guess. In addition to, well, I mean. Because it falls in line with what they want. They want amnesty for all these people. And if you're going to give uh, twenty billion in work permits for people that are going to come in here and, I mean, ostensibly disappear into the wind, regardless. Sure. Yeah, it's not good at all. And but, we're going to fold, and we're going to do it probably. No, I I don't see it not happening. And here's the thing: what does ebbing the flow of migrants coming to, does that mean they're just going to be coming up in a more streamlined fashion? Uh, are we still going to get the same amount of people by the end of the Biden administration? They're just going to come up in more segmented groups. Or, uh, there's no way to tell based off these numbers, which are astronomical. Listen, we have people who work directly on the ground with this stuff every single day of their lives. Everyone from Tom Holman to Jorge Ventura to members of Congress one person says seven, one person says eight, one person says 10, one person says 12 million. We have no fucking idea how many people have come into this country. And to be able to not only bend the knee to Mexico in the fashion that the Mexican president is suggesting right now, but to release restrictions on places like Venezuela, which we already have done, and God forbid, Cuba. This is fucking ridiculous. We're going to start seeing people from those countries now flowing more than they have, which is at ridiculous numbers already. So, listen, wish we had some good news to report on this week. I think the best news that we can report on is that Donald Trump will be winning the Iowa caucus in less than a week from now. But uh, we're going to continue to see how the rest of this week plays out and have it all packaged for you on Friday. We're getting ready to jump in with Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale now to close out our second Tuesday edition of the show. But before we do that, one last check-in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the congressman representing Montana, too. Very excited to be sitting down again with Mr. Matt Rosendale. Welcome back to the show. Good to be back on with you. Thank you. Well, we do have a bunch of stuff to talk about, even though you guys are, are just getting back to work. We saw over the weekend there was breaking news regarding the apparent budget deal that was made. Uh, not a lot of changes, and, and it looks like even less cuts I think as you guys are, are reconvening and, and going to be able to put your heads together over the course of the next couple of days, obviously with some of the appropriation bills still being worked on ahead of the end of the continuing resolution, we, we want to know kind of where the uh, Republican House stands on this right now and what do you look forward to uh, working on in regards to getting the best deal possible for the American people? Well, what I will tell you is when you have a bad process, you end up with a bad product, and, and this was a bad process. We've got what they call the four corners. So Mike Johnson, Hakeem Jeffries, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer got together and started having discussions about what they were going to consider as the top line. And it's it's a much higher line, as you can imagine, that that I'm willing to accept. Uh, I, I continue to hear that Congress has the purse strings. 
and that we are the ones that are able to propose these uh, spending levels. And we are the ones that are supposed to control what it, uh, the funding is being spent on. And, and rather than control the purse springs, uh, most of the folks up here act like they should be carrying a purse around, to tell you the truth. And they're not being assertive as the American people want us to be. Uh, having a discussion about nearly a $1.6 trillion top line spending measure for discretionary uh, spending, uh, that's before we even start uh, looking at, at the bad policies that are contained within it are just not acceptable to me. I, right now, I believe that the, the out-of-control spending, which we're facing a $34 trillion national debt, and the lack of, of security at our southern border are the two largest issues that, that our country faces. And everything else pales in comparison. No, it's the truth. But uh, when you look at it kind of from the, the totality, how this session has gone, when Speaker Johnson uh, obtained the gavel, what we did going into Christmas break and where we're at now heading on the, uh, you know, up on the heels of, of a continuing resolution that's about to end. Aside from the minor cuts, some of the COVID spending and things like that, that might not be included in this budget for this year. And what precedent by getting the appropriations done before the end of the CRs, it's going to set for next year to not only start them sooner, but be able to finish them earlier as well. Do you think, uh, in part, uh, aside from some other minor cuts, that this was the best deal in this situation that we were going to get as far as the budget goes, just based off of the situation that we're in now? No, I do not. I refuse to accept that premise. I think that if you go in from a, a position of weakness, then you get treated as a weak individual. That's a good point. And you have to walk into the negotiation room and say, this is what we're going to accept, and that's it. That's how Chuck Schumer walks into the room. That's how Mitch McConnell uh, negotiates with Chuck Schumer. Those guys all hold hands, and they've already got everything figured out. That is the uniparty. The problem is the people uh, across our country expect more out of the House of Representatives. They expect us to be the voice of reason. They expect Mike Johnson to walk into the room and say, we're not going to be spending at those levels. Not only are we not going to be spending at those levels, but we're not going to take taxpayers' dollars and use them for transgender uh, surgeries. We're not going to use taxpayer dollars for abortions. We're not going to use taxpayers' dollars to fill the pockets of, of these uh, crony uh, industries uh, to support solar energy and wind energy when, when we have all of these other fuel supplies right here beneath our feet that will make our grid stronger and our national security safer. You know, when you look at it from a, a point of leadership and, and in a vote-based system, there there is some that goes to showing how much of non-control the Republicans have. But you do make some excellent points there, not only with the purse strings and the way things are mitigated down in committee in the Republican House all the way up to, if you don't get enough people on board with this, this is going to have to require a lot of Democrats to pass, which is going to give bad optics as well. Not for the Republicans in House who are talking about not voting for it or supporting this, much like you're making the case for now, but, you know, the, the, the leadership. And, and when we're looking at all the things that Republicans need to take a stand on. I think you said it correctly at the top of the interview here. You know, the budget and the economy is number one, and then you have the U.S. southern border as the number two. So it's going to be interesting to see over the course of the next few weeks how this kind of shakes out. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that the narrative on this is completely written yet, but I also don't know how much more room there is for change. I'm, I'm glad to see that some of the guys that are up in the House, you know, that usually almost always vote with America first, like yourself, Congressman, are, are fighting for some of these changes. And uh, regardless of what happens this year uh, in, uh, you know, this budget and, and whatever we're going to get passed on it, it's going to set a new precedent for what we're doing next year, I think, obviously, as well. 
Well, that's why we enlist folks like you, because your listeners actually will take the time and effort to put pressure on their elected uh, representatives to make sure that we can continue to try and get a larger group of individuals that is not afraid to stand up. That's what it's going to take. We have to be bold. The time for half measures and timidity is long gone. That went out the window about 15 years ago. With the, with the uh, problems that we are facing uh, in our nation right now, with the spending, with the southern border, the, the two of them are intricately uh, 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 connected, and, and we must address those two issues. And, and the more people that we can get out there uh, in the rest of the country – uh, helping us put pressure on their representatives, the more likely it is that we can get this ship turned around. No, it's the truth right there. I do want to switch gears, though, and stay in some of the business of the Republican House, though. Uh, over the course of the last two weeks, uh, the Biden administration has rolled out Alejandro Mayorkas. Two weeks ago, he began making his case across the cable news circuit, talking about the job that he's done, the broken system, and blaming everybody and, and their mother, essentially, except himself. Yesterday, he was down on the U.S. southern border and, and propagated more of the same. Now, we know this, the situation that's going on down there currently all started on day one of the Biden administration when he, via executive order, essentially erased most of the Trump doctrine when it comes to border security. Where we're in right now, uh, you know, the way I see Alejandro Mayorkas over the course of the last two weeks, he's actually seems to be posturing and even challenging you guys to do something about it because he doesn't feel like the Republican House can get anything done. And that's talking about working towards a comprehensive border bill, which is being worked on now with people like Senator Lankford on the Republican side, all the way up to impeaching him. I know you guys are going to be laser focused in on this as one of the top two issues as you guys are coming together again on the Capitol Hill after the Christmas break. So how are you looking at this? I mean, there was a lot of people... I, that were down there last week and got to saw the situation firsthand, but everybody knows what the deal is down there and the person that Alejandro Mayorkas is as the head of the Department of Homeland Security. So he is not going to do anything to secure our border. Uh, he is in completely in violation of his oath of office. He has ignored the rule of law, not only at the southern border, but then also to keep the ICE agents from uh, carrying out their duties uh, to round up, to perform raids, and to deport individuals that are here illegally. The man has failed miserably and, and deserves to be impeached. Uh, everyone understands the problem that we have at the southern border, and, and I just am very disappointed that they don't place the sense of urgency upon it that I truly believe that it is. I believe that it is an imminent national security risk. I believe that when you have two million gotaways, we don't know who in the world has entered into our country. We know that they're coming from nations that want to do us harm, whether that's Chinese nationals or Middle Eastern countries that wish to do us harm. Uh, 160, 165 nations have been represented down there. There's, there's 8 million people that have encounters, but there's another 2 million that have not had encounters. We have been able to see video surveillance showing them coming into our country wearing ghillie suits and camouflage yep. and carpet shoes so that they can't be tracked. And, and if a small percentage of them, 10%, uh, want to do us harm, that's 200,000 people. That is a very large army. If it's only 1% that want to do us harm, that's 20,000 individuals. That is still a very large army when you consider the chaos that they could create to our infrastructure, our transportation systems, our power grid. And, and yet, what are we going to do about it? Me, I think that this is such a national security risk that I think when January 19th comes, 
and uh, the House of Representatives is considering what parts of the government that we should be funding. We shouldn't be considering that unless the Senate takes up and passes House Bill 2, which is the most comprehensive and conservative piece of, of immigration and southern border security legislation that has ever been passed. And that's what we need to do in order to secure our nation, which is, quite frankly, job one for the government. Oh, it's the truth. And uh, when you look at the bipartisan group of, of Republicans and Democrats that are working on the bill currently, that's I already mentioned Oklahoma Senator James Langford, obviously Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, and a couple others. It doesn't seem like they historically have the urgency to, number one, vote on border security. Number two, get to the uh, there there when it comes to what enforcement needs to look like down the U.S. southern border, especially since Joe Biden took office. When you know, you look at all of the stipulations that are laid out in HR2, it seems like it'd be a pretty slam dunk way to flick the light switch on and off, night and day, change what's going on down there. But at the same time, you'd have to have Alejandro Mayorkas enforce those, even if it was able to make it through the gambit of, uh, you know, getting through the Senate, Joe Biden signing it and then passing it along to Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, one of the big questions I think a lot of people has is, Moving forward, it looks like the you know anything that's negotiated in regards to bipartisan border security essentially seems like more money for processing and not enough money for enforcement. Any new border agents that would be coming in or at least a year, if not more, away from hitting the ground running, and then once they get there, they're going to be uh, you know tasked with replacing all of the people from other agencies like TSA and the air marshals and ICE who are down there changing diapers and passing out Capri Suns. So, so when you look at the totality of of the situation, it doesn't seem like there's a uh, plausible solution in the short term long-term goals do you think that the uh people on the democrat side especially in the heading into the election year that we are where everybody in the house is up for re-election is going to have border security on the docket when it comes to possibly working towards impeachment for alejandro mayorkas i'm not certain now here's what i'm concerned with when i hear conversations about a supplemental being considered on the senate side that's not going to do us any good whatsoever there are too many people that again are tied into the uniparty they just want to pass something and what they're trying to do is tie funding for ukraine to southern border security funding to funding for israel and they tr always try to push it together in a big package Customs and Border Patrol have told us that they don't need any additional funding. If you send additional funding to the southern border, all you're going to do is have uh, additional soft-sided structures being built, more CBP officers hired, and uh, to speed up the process with which they're able to pro uh, bring people into our country illegally. That is not the answer. House Bill 2 to make sure that people that are claiming asylum status are forced to remain in Mexico until they can have a hearing and have their uh, decision adjudicated. That's how we're going to do this, to uh, direct ICE to start conducting raids again and deporting individuals that are here illegally. That's going to have impact to make sure that we have adequate funding for the construction of the southern border security system, including a wall and the fiber optics within the ground to, to sense when people are moving through, to have the cameras, the lights, the road systems. That is how we're going to secure our border. Anything short of that is going to do nothing more than help process people faster, bring them into the country, exasperate the situation, and help the Democrats create this permanent underclass that they so desire to have. No, that's the truth. And, and, you know, when you just want to talk about the way that the Biden administration has conducted itself, remember, the adults are back in charge. This administration was both going to be transparent and historic. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman, we did see last week there was some 
big controversy that came out when when it was leaked to the media that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin underwent a medical procedure that kind of didn't go the way they expected. He was actually hospitalized and off the grid for several days, and, and it seemed like no one within the administration knew anything about it, all the way from his counterpart, the Assistant Secretary of Defense, the deputy who was on vacation down in Puerto Rico, all the way up to and including the President of the United States. When you see all the stuff that's going on right now, I mean, obviously China and North Korea have done some major posturing, Iran and all of its proxy wars throughout the region of the Middle East, and then, of course, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and the fact that the Secretary of Defense is not only out of the game but but has no replacements in the bullpen that are acting in his context, not having that transparency, not only with the American people but the rest of the federal government, including the Republican House, seems like one of the most alarming things out of a lot that the Biden administration has you know, been uh, accused of during the course of Joe Biden's presidency. How are you guys looking at this? And do you think there's going to be any kind of investigation into what exactly happened and why? It, there had better be. Uh, I'm going to introduce a resolution today uh, for Lloyd Austin's impeachment. This is a pattern of behavior that we've seen for quite some time from him misleading and actually lying to the American people about what he does or does not know. This goes all the way back to the Chinese spy balloon yep. that flew over our country. For, at first, they tried to deny that, that it was even in existence. The next thing they did was try to deny that it had the ability to hover around, maneuver around, and collect information uh, from the uh, Air Force sites and the ICBMs that are located in Montana. We were told that they couldn't collect information, lied to. Then he uh, put out information that they could not transmit that information. We were lied to. We know that this is a pattern of behavior that he has conducted time and time again. And while he was in intensive care, who knows why, who knows how long he was under, who knows for what procedures that were being conducted, I think that we may know. Barack Obama probably knows sure. what was going on at that time. Joe Biden may not have known, but at the shadow government that is taking place and running this country right now is is should be horrifying to people across every single state. And, and that is what my concern is. No, it's the truth. You know, the transparent and historic. Well, maybe historic, but definitely not transparent is one of the things that the Biden administration has not been. Congressman, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Great catching up after the holidays. We're, we're glad to see you're hitting the ground running and fired up. We're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today so everybody can check you out and see all the great work that you're doing up there on Capitol Hill. Anybody that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out as well? At Rep Rosendale. We make it easy. Everything on my social platforms, at Rep Rosendale. Glad to have you join us. Glad to have you join us as well. In case anybody was wondering, yes, we are still fighting up there on the Hill, and we're just getting started. This is the congressman representing Montana, too, Mr. Matt Rosendale. Thanks for joining the show. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks for having me on. God bless you. Busy Tuesday editions of the show today, Noah, but I think we nailed it. Busy, busy. Lots of content, I tell you that much, and some very phenomenal interviews as well. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, I want to hear the now almost 315 other editions of the show. It's pretty simple. Follow us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Hit the plus button, follow the show, make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell. Most importantly, be sharing the Steak for Breakfast podcast with your friends. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing with us today. The iconic, infamous, and best dressed Mr. Roger Stone. Former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Special Assistant to President Trump, Cash Patel. Author and attorney, Christina Bob, And Congressman Matt Rosendale and Andy Ogles. You guys all helped make Steak 
great again. Like I said already, it's been a busy week, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We'll be back with two all-new editions of the show on Friday, and we've got quite a lineup, maybe even one that eclipses today's two shows. Congressman Tom Tiffany, Kingsley Cortez Wilson, the official spokeswoman for Donald Trump, Liz Harrington, former HUD director Ben Carson, and former acting ICE director Mr. Tom Holman as well. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Ron Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. You said their headpiece only had markings on one side. Are you absolutely sure? Belloc's staff is too long. They're, They're digging, digging in, in the, the wrong, wrong place. place. <laughs> I am the monarch of the sea. I am the ruler of the queen. That dates. <laughs> <laughs>